Let's take a moment to um, pray for the word of God. Father, as we come now to your word, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, but hearts to listen. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, remind us, even as we are all home watching a, a, a laptop or a phone or whatever screen it is, that nevertheless you've united us together uh, in Christ Jesus. And uh, we pray that our faith would come together, especially during these times, to, to really encourage one another, to be encouraged, and uh, to be edified through your word as we hear it. And so, Lord, let your spirit work in our hearts and minds to remind us, Lord, of basic and sometimes important foundational truths that, that ought to root us and anchor us, uh, especially during times of uncertainty and uh, worry and anxiety, as well as fear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to get used to preaching uh, into a laptop, actually not even preaching to a laptop, it's like preaching into this little eye, uh, this little hole here, and then it's just, um, it's, it's like I'm preaching to myself, so it, it, and I'm still getting used to it, but uh, we're doing the best we can, and so what we're doing now, and uh, if you're joining us, what we're doing here is we're looking and we're still going to go look through the book of First Corinthians, and we're still in chapter one. And we've just read, Pastor James just read verses 26 to verse 31. And uh, as you know, as we look at the book of, of Corinthians here, First uh, Corinthians, we're looking at a church that I think lives in a culture and a time that is very similar and uh, very relatable to our church and our times in many ways. Three things I want us to see in this passage, just three, okay? Three, three questions, okay? First is, who exactly were these Christians in the church of Corinth? And secondly, how did they become Christians, right? How did they become Christians? And then thirdly, why? For what purpose? For what purpose did God save them? Who are the Corinthians, who are the church, or the Christians in Corinth, right? Why did they become, or how did they become Christians, and, and why, for what purpose, right? And we're going to look at this very carefully. So let's look at this. Uh, who are these people in the church of Corinth? And as we look at this passage, I want us to zoom in uh, on, on this church in Corinth. And what we're going to do is then we'll zoom out and we'll see a, a picture of what God is thinking. So we zoom in here in verse 26. And in verse 26, we're told Paul gives us a description of, of what these people are. Okay, of who these people are. And he says in verse 26, he says this, he says, um, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Paul here, he's not trying to be offensive. He's just stating the facts. They weren't the smartest, all right? They weren't the wisest. They weren't the most educated, okay? They weren't the most powerful people. They weren't the most influential in their society. Nor did they have many people who were of high status or, or high position, if you could say. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 18 and when Paul started this church, most of the people in this church belonged to the working class. Yeah. They were your modern-day uh, blue-collar types, and some were even slaves. Hi, you, Gil. <laughs> now... Uh, and so these people here in the church, most of them were working class and blue collar types. And, and there were a few exceptions in this group of people. There was this guy Crispus, uh, who was a synagogue leader. And there was this guy Sosthenes, who was also another synagogue leader, which we heard about in, in verse one of this chapter. And maybe there was this woman, Chloe, in verse 11 of chapter one of 1 Corinthians, who had some servants that maybe 
you know, she had some wealth and prominence and she was also uh, part of the church. So, so there were a few people in this church who were a little higher on the social ladder, but Paul says, not many, not many. In fact, if you go on to read in verse 27, he says more than that, verse 27, 28, they were also foolish. They were weak, they were low, and they were even despised in the eyes of the people, in the eyes of their society. In other words, overall, they were nobodies. They were, they were, they were, they were nothings. And so this isn't the most uh, flattering description of a church that Paul says he loves, is it, right? This was the church uh, that was there in Corinth. And as such, I think it's a kind of church that's filled with people that I think most of us, uh, if not all of us, are really not familiar with in our day-to-day lives. Most of us are highly educated, right? Most of you are very bright people. Many of you have positions uh, of leadership at, at your work. None of us are really poor, right? And, and no one here, as far as I know, is a slave. And so I wonder, you know, I, I kind of wonder how you would feel about a church like this, that, that if you were looking to visit a church in Corinth and, and you check out their website and, and you click on the About Us page to learn a little bit about these people and you read this description and it read like this, hey, welcome to the church in Corinth. We're not the brightest, we're not the best, a few of us have high school diplomas, we're not that rich, nor are we powerful, and no one here is really famous. In fact, most of us are foolish, uh, weak, and we're kind of despised in our societies. Hope to see you here on Sunday. How would that sound to you? Would this be a church that you would be interested in? And honestly speaking, even for myself and many of us, we probably wouldn't be interested, would we? We wouldn't want to be identified with a group like this. We'd probably look for the next church. But this was the church that Paul loved. This was the church that he valued. He valued enough to write this letter to them, even though he wasn't there anymore. This is the church that God loved and that God also valued. And if you notice this already, what God loves and what Paul loves and what they valued was quite different from what their society loved and valued. Listen, look into verse 26 again. Not many were wise. It means they weren't educated. They weren't that smart. Not many were powerful. It means that there weren't that many influential people there. Not many were noble. In other words, they weren't of the upper class in their society. Now look at the world. Even our culture, not just theirs, but ours. There are at least three things that we determine what is great. Number one, it's wisdom, it's education, it's brains, right? And number two, we, we, we appreciate power and influence, popularity, even fame, right? Number three, we also respect those people in high ranks or high positions or high offices. This is the, these are the things that we naturally value or, or respect or, or honor in our world, just as much as they did in their world. But the people in Corinth weren't this, they weren't that. They were undesirable, they were unattractive, and nobody really cared about them. And so you would think then, why or how? How in the world did they become Christians? I mean, if you were God and you wanted to save a people for yourself to represent you, would you pick a group of people like this? And I think most of us would probably say no, right? 
So how did they become believers at all? And I want you to look at this very carefully. In verse 27, and listen very carefully, there are two important words here that are so important, two important words that begin this passage and, and turns this passage into a different direction. He basically says this earlier in the verse. He says, this is what you guys are like. You're, you're weak, you're foolish, you, you know, you, you've got problems in your church, you've got a lot of issues, nobody cares about you, you're on the low end of the spectrum in your society. But look at verse 27, the first two words. He says, but God. Nobody wants you. Nobody cares about you. But God. It's a big but here, right? In verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world. He chose what is weak in the world. In verse 28, he chose what is low and what is despised in the world, even things that are not. And so as we zoomed in into the church, now we, now we zoom out and you see a way of how God is thinking of the way he works, right? It's a paradox here that the way God does things, the way he sees things is oftentimes different from the rest of the world and in our culture and what they see. In other words, what God values, what he prizes is sometimes the very opposite of what we value and prize. Every culture, every kingdom has certain values, things we consider important, right? Things we consider worthy of our applause, of our attention, of our time, right? Things we want to put on top, the top of our list. And then you have things that we want to put at the bottom of our list. And those things at the bottom, they're not as good as we, we think. They're not as important as we think. They are things that we just want to avoid. We want to stay away from. You know, uh, I haven't been able to visit Paul and Susan in Cambodia, and, and, and part of the reason was, well, this past year especially, uh, I wasn't healthy enough, but even in the previous years, I'll be very honest with you, anytime Paul asked me to come out to help him in Cambodia or in Vietnam or wherever it is, I always try to say yes, but I'll be very honest. When I say yes, in my heart, I say no, no, no. Why? Why would I want to go there? And it's not that I don't like Cambodia or Vietnam or Southeast Asia, but the problem is at the top of my list, at the top of what I value in my life, in my, in my, in my sort of world, is comfort. It's comfort. And the idea and the thought of just being on that plane for, for 18 hours or whatever it is and, 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 and layovers, it, it, it's just not comfortable. It just, it just, it's painful right? And so it's very hard for me to, and, and to really, to really go, but I always try to go. And I always ask Paul, Paul, I, I visited Vietnam. I looked at Cambodia. Cambodia, I think Vietnam is so much better than Cambodia. Why? Why did you go to Cambodia? Why would anyone go into that environment, into that economy, right? Into, into that kind of culture. And it's a difference of what we value. And if we value on top power, Things like comfort, maybe some of you value success, maybe maybe recognition or, or wealth and health. And at the bottom of our list, maybe at the bottom is, is things like weakness, poverty, you know, sickness, exclusion, uh, sacrifice. So the things at the top of our list, the things that we value are things that become priorities for us. And we do everything we can to avoid the, the latter things, right? That's how I think most people work. That's the normal way I think that the world works. But you look at verse 27, you've given a description of the church here in Corinth. And in verse 27, Paul says, but God. It's a very different perspective. But God chose what is foolish. He chose what is weak. 
He chose what people didn't want. He chose the despised and the low of the world. The principles of God and the kingdom are different from the principles of the world and the culture that we oftentimes live in. Everywhere else in the world, it says this. If you want to be great, right, this is what you have to do. This is where you need to be. This is who you need to know. This is what you've got to accomplish, right? If you want to be respected, uh, if you want to be loved, if you, if you just want to be accepted, then just be more like this. Do more of this. And to be honest, it's a lot of work. But the gospel we're being taught here is different. Christianity is very different. How do I know this? Because think about this. How do people who are low in society, have very economic, low economic power, have very much no ability and no education to really accomplish or do anything, how do those people do anything for themselves? They can't do anything. They can't earn anything for themselves. They're not able to accomplish or achieve on their own the many things that we do and take for granted. But verse 27 says this, but God, but God. He chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He chooses intentionally the low and the despised. How did the Corinthian believers become believers at all? Why, why does God choose to love them? And the answer is in verse 30. He says this, because of him, right? Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. Not because of you, not even because of Paul, but because of God you are in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is grace. This is what it means to understand grace. This is not works. This is a principle of grace. And as you understand, even as we learned a little bit from last week, as Pastor James preached on, the wisdom of God and how God does things is different from the wisdom of the world. That's what he's trying to show us here, right? In the world, it's the strongest. It's the fastest. It's the smartest. It's the prettiest. It's the most self-sufficient and the most independent that are in. But in God's world, and even in the church in Corinth, what we see is this. It seems to me that the insignificant, the weak, those who are unable, that depend not on themselves, but on God and on the grace of the Father and the work of the Son, those people in God's eyes, they're the ones that are in. And this is, I think, something that, especially in our culture, that we really need to think about more carefully. You and I, we might be rich. We might be at least well off, right? We might even be highly respected or esteemed in our, in our own circles or in our, in our own cultures. We may be self-sufficient. You may be strong and a decent person in the eyes of your peers. But here's what we've got to understand. If we are Christians, the only reason we became a Christian is because you and I are cosmic charity cases. That you and I are utterly and spiritually threadbare. That we are wholly dependent and bereft of the spiritual resources needed to be a faithful person. Do you think of yourself this way? A charity case. And I wonder then for those of us and for many of us who live on the other spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum in society compared to these people in Corinth, do you see yourself like this? I wonder if in our affluent culture today, can you still say as much as you have earned, as much as you have studied, as much as you have in your life, can you still say, I am nothing? That I really have nothing. That it really means nothing. 
compared to knowing God's grace. You know, as I think about the, the virus pandemic, um, I think it, it's, it's, it puts our faith to the test, doesn't it? The virus doesn't care about how much money you make, right? The virus doesn't care what your position is in your work or in your company. The virus doesn't care how many degrees you've earned, right? It doesn't care how old you are, how young you are. You get the virus, you get the virus. And it just kind of sort of pulls out the rug from under us. What can we do? There's nothing, just no amount of money, no amount of, 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 of studying, no amount of, of, of you know, positions or wealth or health that can stop this pandemic from going. And it really tests us. Are we able to be reminded, even in this situation, that really we are, in fact, weak? dependent, not only on ourselves, on God, but also on one another. Doesn't this show us how much we do need help, no matter what we have in our position in society? You know, in the early 1800s, there was this woman named Selena Hastings, and Selena Hastings was a Countess of Huntingdon in, in the UK, in England, uh, during the early or the first half of the 18th century. And she used to say this, she used to say that she knew she was going to go to heaven, thanks entirely to the letter M, the letter M. And so when she was asked what, what, what she meant, she would turn to our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, and she would read verse 27, and she would read, not many were wise, not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth, no noble birth. She says she's saved entirely to the letter M, and she's referring to the word many here. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. And she says this, it doesn't say not any. It says not many. Not any, it says not many, which means that if she was a Christian, she got in solely on the account of the letter M. Do you see this is what she says? In other words, she understood that her high social status plays no part in securing her eternal destiny. For she knows that she needs to look at the free grace of a sovereign God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's us. Can we do the same? Now this is who they were, okay? unlovely, unimportant, undesirable, and that's just how they were converted. He chose the foolish, he chose the weak, he called them, he united them to his son, Jesus Christ, and they're his church. Not because of anything they've done, but because of his grace, his sovereign grace, right? Now let's look at the last question then. Why? Or what is the purpose? Why does God choose to do it this way, okay? Why is it different? Why does he want to do it this way? And there's two answers to this. There's at least two things I see here into why he does it. One is very obvious. It's found in verse 29, okay? He, he says this, the reason that he chose to work by grace, right? That he chooses the weak, the foolish, the something that, that nobody else would ever do, right? Is this, verse 29, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Here, let me, just, let me just be quick. This is an obvious point, but I think it's something to remember. If you did something and you were successful, you could brag about it. I did it, right? If you knew you were powerful and you earned your powerful, you, you earned your power, if you knew 
whoever you knew was important and because of your relationships, uh, because of your education, because of your background. If you had all these things because you thought you did it, then you could say, I did it, right? I did it. Whatever people give you in this world, you could boast and you could say and brag about it and say, I did it. But I want you to know this. No one who ever became a Christian came to God and prayed and said, God, I did it. I became a Christian. No one even says we did it. it and you were saved not 100% because of you. It wasn't even 50-50. You, you didn't do 50% and God did 50% and then you became a Christian. No. What, what's the point? It's, it's God. God did it. Verse 30, because of him. It's completely by grace. And he meant to do it this way. Why? So that no one can boast. Why? So that he deserves all the credit. He deserves 100% of the glory. And that means he deserves your thankfulness and your worship. That's why he did it this way. In other words, let me put it this way. God makes sure he gets 100% of the glory by making sure you and I get 100% of his blessing through his grace so that no one can boast in his presence except to boast in him. Verse 31. That's why we worship him. That's why it's by grace. Okay? But there's a second, and it's more practical, more important thing to understand God's wisdom and why he does the way he does things. Uh, and that's again in verse 30. He says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, or as it say, wisdom from God. You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom. Jesus became for us wisdom. This is the reason that God does the way he does, the why he works in his grace, why he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. Here is the, pr the practical sort of rubber meets the road um, reason for why he does this. Christ now has become our wisdom. Now, let's be clear about this. What is wisdom? Truth is what you ought to believe. Wisdom is how you apply that truth in your daily lives. How do you apply the truth of the gospel in your life? How does Christ become your wisdom? And we've been learning this already from the very beginning. One of the ways that God or Christ becomes our wisdom, one of the ways that we apply the gospel in our lives is found in what we value. And for Jesus and for the kingdom of God, the values, their values are different from the world. It's actually turned around. It's reversed. It's reversed. If you live for happiness, if you live for recognition, if you live for, for power or prestige, if you live for wealth or health or a successful career, let me be honest, those things might pay off. It, it really might pay off. They'll give you results. And there is no doubt that living out in this world, it makes the most sense to live this way, to pursue these things. In fact, I'm going to say this. It's natural to live this way, to pursue those things. It's, in fact, biological, right? What does biology say in, in the world and how things work? It's survival of the fittest, right? It's the strongest. It's the richest. It's the prettiest. It's the most powerful. Nobody says it's survival of the weakest. That, that's unnatural, isn't it? Who would value weakness? I mean, who would value the foolish? I mean, who would do that? It doesn't make sense. 
And so as much as it is natural, here's the catch. If you live for the values of the things in the world that you see around you, okay, they might produce for you here and now. You might be filled right now. Uh, if you build your life on these values, you might get results right now for yourself. But the problem with all of this is that it is temporary. You could be filled now, but you're going to be empty later. If you build your life on, on things like this, the values of the world, you might get results now, but eventually they start to crumble. Beauty will start to fade. Money eventually will be spent. People you love will eventually pass away. Achievement and power will eventually be eclipsed and forgotten. And here you have then Jesus Christ, who lived a life by touching lepers, giving himself to the poor, dying on the cross, coming as a poor man, riding into town on, on someone else's donkey, eating his last meal in somebody else's house, being buried in someone else's tomb, giving up everything. And so what you see here is that what Jesus holds valuable goes absolutely against everything that we believe works in our society. His values are, are, are reversed. They're turned upside down. In other words, the mark or the fruit of what makes us a Christian, the fruit of what makes us a Christian is a reversal of our values, a reversal of our values that needs to take place. The things that the world considers weak and pitiful now we value. This is the wisdom of God, and it's different from the wisdom of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Look, I'm not saying pursue weakness in your life. I'm not saying pursue poverty or, or sickness or whatever the case. I'm not saying look for suffering. These things, they, you don't have to look for them. They will find you in, in their moments. But what do we see in our passage? God pursued people who were in weakness. He valued people who were experienced maybe poverty, people who were maybe marginalized in their society. God pursued and he valued those people who couldn't really do what everyone else could do for themselves. And Jesus gave his life to redeem their life, to make it better, to make it great in his eyes at a great cost to himself. Think about this. Think about the virus that's going on and, and the social distancing and, and this annoying inconvenience of, of doing worship online and, the, and the, the difficult and sometimes frustrating inconvenience of, of managing your children at home and the things that we got to do is all because of social distancing. And, and, and it's not, and it's not, just to keep you healthy, it's, it's to keep those outside and our neighbors and, and, and our, in our towns, the vulnerable, right? Keep them safe as well. But if in the world, biology is all that it is, then who cares about the most vulnerable? They're weak. It's survival of the fittest. It's just natural selection, right? It doesn't matter the weak. They're, they're going to pass because they are weak. That's the way the world works. We pursue the strong. We appreciate those who survive, right? 
But nobody is talking like this, are they? And certainly no one should believe this. We know that, that there is value to people, to the elderly, to, to the sick, to those most, most prone and vulnerable, to those who, who don't have shelter or home. We know that, that there is something valuable about their lives as well, that, that it just can't be just biology, that it just can't be just survival of the fittest, that there's more to, to humanity than just this. But if Christ is our wisdom, as Paul says, then we value what he values. And that means we value even those people. And what that means is practically then we ought to get into their lives as we see those people in their moments of hurt or suffering or hardship, and we try and make things better. We try to encourage them, even at a cost to ourselves. If Christ is our wisdom and the way we live and apply the truth, it means we need to reverse the values. Let me, let me give you another more personal example for, for something that you could apply to yourself. Uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, uh, it's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And there we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are those, blessed are those, so on and so forth. And basically, Jesus is explaining the values of his kingdom, right? And one of those blessed things, uh, the Beatitudes, one of the Beatitudes says this, blessed are those who weep. It means that he's talking to people where something has gone wrong in their life and, and, and they're weeping. But he says, you're blessed. The word blessed means to be deeply satisfied. That, how is that possible? Jesus is saying that a Christian is somebody who can weep and still, still be blessed. And, and this is different. See, under the old values, if you lose your job, if you lose a loved one, if you lose your reputation, our response is, my life is over. My life is over, and, and, and I'm just weeping. I'm crying. Under the old values, blessedness and, blessedness and weeping, they, they don't go together. But if Christ is our wisdom, they do go together. Because there's a blessedness that doesn't have to do anything with your circumstances. And we need to then learn how to reverse the values in our society, our culture, to be more counter, I guess, culture, you could say, or some people would say. That's how you live with Christ's wisdom. We reverse the values. What does that mean? So, for example, I've lost recognition in the world. That hurts. But I'm famous with God. That's true. I've lost something. I'm hurting and I'm weeping. That, that, that really hurts. But at the same time, you're blessed in Christ. That's absolutely true. We're reversing them. I've been excluded from my society, from my culture, or for whatever reason. I've been excluded. That's painful. But I've been welcomed. I've been welcomed by God himself. That's a reverse of the values. There's nothing wrong. Friends, listen carefully. There is nothing wrong with pursuing excellence in the world. There's nothing wrong with pursuing financial stability, uh, a good career and vocation, pursuing excellence in your studies, right? You should, right? We should. We should pursue excellence in all that we do. Why? Because they are God's gift to us. They're opportunities. They're gifts, gifts to us. And, and we need to be good stewards of them. But if you identify yourself with any of those things, if you stake your life, on any of those things, if your security is found in any of those things alone, if that's who you are, you will never be a stable Christian. 
and maybe you're not even a stable person. It's never enough. Once any of those things are threatened, you feel threatened. Once they start crumbling, you feel like crumbling. Once they're gone or taken away, you feel like your life is gone and it's the end of the world. But God here is telling us this. Consider your calling. This is the beginning of our passage. Paul tells this church, right, as the culture seems to be weighing in on the people in this church, as, as its influence seems to be pulling them apart, Paul is telling them, consider your calling. Remember your calling. Verse 2, you're called to be saints. Verse 9, you're called to be in fellowship with this Christ, Christ who is your wisdom now because of what he's done for you. Live it out now. Reverse the values. Some of you are feeling very anxious right now with what's going on in the world. Maybe you're worried about your work. You're nervous about your stability. You're nervous about the economy and so forth. You're anxious. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Remember the big but of verse 27. What am I going to do? But God. But God. Some of you are fearful and you're afraid uh, of getting sick and you're afraid of, of what may happen out there. And you're afraid for your life and for the life of your family and your children. But God, but God is still there. Some of you are angry or you're sad or you're depressed and you're not sure if you can overcome this. You know, feel all alone. Verse 27, but God, the God of grace who chose the foolish, who chose the weak, who came to them and came to their rescue is in our life. And we remember the grace that we've received just as much as the people in Corinth that they've received. And we especially need to remember this grace right now in our times. If you have any hope, if you have any encouragement, be that person that says, I have nothing to offer and nothing to give and everything to receive from you. I trust and I depend upon you. Right? Be that person who's able to sing like that hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless come to thee for grace. I, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. I pray that would be our prayer today as we continue to wrestle with things that we have to do day to day and with what's going on. I pray, Lord, that Lord keep you in his grace. And I also pray that he give you the strength and the faith to live out your faith, to live out the wisdom of Christ as we pursue those things, value those things that the world has rejected. Let's pray.